The following message was recorded at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oviedo, Florida. Covenant is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, a community committed to seeing the gospel deeply rooted in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors in the Oviedo area. We welcome you to visit us on Sunday mornings in Oviedo or anytime online at cpcovito.com. Our sermon text this morning is from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 9 through Isaiah Chapter 9, verse 7, Isaiah 8. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord speaks spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord have given me are signs and portents in Israel from the the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against the king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time he was made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, 
and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, whenever we gather for worship, we come busy and distracted. And I know that's even more severe this time of year, some distracted by the season, some by life's sorrows. So we pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you'd be present with us to calm our hearts and to cheer them. And through your word and for your glory, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, the son of Mary, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Um, Would it be safe, um, kids, I mean, particularly, I know you're coloring your coloring sheets, but would it be safe for us to turn out all the lights, block all the windows, exclude every bit of darkness, and then have me walk around up here? Do you think that would be safe? (laughs) It probably wouldn't, right? When things are dark, bad things can happen. Um, We can, like, step off of things and fall. We can bump into things. Um, And that's why sometimes dark things are scary. They're scary because we don't know what's coming. We don't know, you know, if it's all dark outside and you're walking through the woods or something, what might be on the other side of that tree? And what was that noise? Oh dear, what might it be? Darkness can freak us out. Um, So it scares us. We can't see what's coming. um, And... And what's my, what is coming, we fear, will hurt us. So, darkness is a picture of how many of us live our lives. We're, there's a lot that's unknown. And because there are things that are unknown, things we can't see, we get afraid. And then there's the things that come out of the dark that we know about, and and, and set our hearts at, on edge. This text talks a lot about darkness. There's a lot in the world that can unsettle us, but into that darkness, this text says there is light. And therein is the re- remarkable reality of Christmas. Um, certainly, there is, there is darkness. There's uncertainty. We're all touched by that. But Christmas is meant to be a season of light, where where we're invited to look at a child and to put our eyes on the one named Emmanuel so that our darkness might not be so dark. For since Jesus is the light who has come into the world, the Christian's world, our world, your world, need not be so dark. In fact, we live in the hope that the darkness that we now experience 
which makes us fearful and afraid, will one day forever be removed. So the hope of this passage is centered on a child, right? For unto us. We're going to look particularly at verse 6. For to us a child is born. And that's in and of itself remarkable. The world is falling apart. The world's a dark place. So what does God do? He gives us a child. A child. That would be laughable. We're not this child. Clearly someone unique. This son that is given, we've already read, is born of a virgin. This child is one who was born of a woman who should not have been able to have a child. And yet God, in his miracle, gave her a child. And this one is to be called an heir of David. The one who who was descended from the greatest king Israel had ever known. This is one upon whose shoulders would be the government of the people. He is destined to bear authority and rule. And even upon his birth, remarkable names are given to him. To Joseph it was said, you shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. To Mary it was said, and and later, to call him Jesus, which is God is our salvation. And this text here in Isaiah, as it looks forward to the birth of this child, gives other names which point to the light that he brings, that he might pry open our dark world and insert into it beautiful and wonderful light when we can see that Jesus, first of all, brings light as one who is the wonderful counselor. Jesus brings light as the wonderful counselor. The text reads, for to us... A child is born, this is Isaiah 9, 6, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. You know, a king in those days would be surrounded by counselors, advisors, those who would speak to him to give him advice and direction and insight. These counselors would have various expertise, levels of expertise, one in charge of defense perhaps, one in charge of this, one in charge of that, and the king would take those, that counsel and he would take it very seriously. But ultimately, the king is the counselor of the nation. The king will speak to the nation. The king will say, this is what is true. This is what we shall do. This is the direction in which we should go. This child is a wonderful counselor. This child is one who would grow to be a king, who would speak counsel to his people, and his counsel would be supernatural, full of wonder, insight and wisdom. It would be counsel of wonders. That's what is meant. And unlike human counsel, the counsel of this child would not need to be questioned and it would never change. You can ask me for advice. I'll give it to you, perhaps, but you'll need to weigh it carefully, you know. I'll take it for what it is, you know. You get what you pay for from me. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, and sometimes if you ask me today and then ask me next week, the counsel will be different. But the word from this king never changes. It is ever wise. It is supernatural counsel with an insight that it is rooted in the creator's knowledge of his creation. And that's the way in which Jesus' counsel came across and was received, right? The people heard him gladly. They were astounded by his word. Thousands would travel out of town into the wilderness to sit around and listen to him. For an entire day going without lunch, he spoke 
to a world that was desperate for counsel, a world that was in darkness and didn't know which direction to go. He spoke of his kingdom. He spoke of his God. He spoke of our God. He spoke of forgiveness. He spoke a gospel of the kingdom. The people living in darkness saw in him a great light through the wonder of his counsel. And we too have that word accessible to us. We treat it lightly. But we have that word, a word of glory and wisdom and wonder. The noise of the world and the flash of our phones and the tyranny of the urgent would have us ignore this. But one, who is a, one has arisen who is a wonderful counselor and who has spoken his counsel and whose counsel has been written down. And sadly, we confess that the church has sometimes obscured that counsel. I understand the conflict. Whether you're a, a, a pastor, a teacher, whether you're a person in the pew, if you've got church A saying this thing and preacher B saying that thing and book C saying something still other, there are those who conclude from this, if all of these things can be true, then none of it's true. And I beg of you not to go down that route. We are weak and we sometimes get things wrong, but the wonderful counselor never gets things wrong. We need, in him reside all truth and wisdom and hopeful words. His word is here. His counsel is accessible. Seek that from him. Wait for him and follow him as your wonderful counselor. Secondly, he brings light as the mighty God. These things begin to, to pile up on each other. The Messiah would be, we read, his name would be called mighty counselor. I'm sorry, wonderful counselor and mighty God. Well, no wonder his counsel was full of wonder. The one who brings counsel from heaven himself is from heaven. He is God himself, one of the greatest mysteries imaginable, which even those who want to honor his word turn away from. You know that, right? Many who will say, we love what Jesus taught. We love his word. We love his insight. We love his advice. We love his counsel. We love his teaching. But he said he was God. Well, we don't need to pay attention to that. But in that stable, in Bethlehem, God became man. This child born of Mary is fully and completely the creator God without ceasing to be fully and completely human. He is God and he is man without any kind of confusion or, or division between the two. Jesus, whose word we honor, whose counsel we receive, who walked the earth, who ate and slept with his disciples, who bled, who wept, was also the one who created all things from nothing and who holds a thousand galaxies in his hand. He is, as such, the greatest revelation of God that could ever be conceived. You know how he answered, right? When the disciples said, show us the Father. And he says, you've seen me. We want to see God. Well, you're looking at him. He is the mighty God. He is the one who is and has been and always will be. And this is not some kind of designation that was given to him a hundred years after he lived, but something of which Jesus was consciously aware and of which he spoke to those who questioned him. He said, I and the Father are one. We need to sit there for a bit this Christmas 
And think about this baby who was born, this wonderful counselor who has spoken into our darkness is not simply, simply a man with great wisdom. He is God himself. He is the one whom God has given to us, the one who has come to lift us out of darkness, to bring light and comfort, to rescue us, was not an agent sent by God, but he is God himself. Consider that, right? You know, if I'm, you know, if I have a, uh, you know, a flat tire somewhere, um, you know, it's not going to be the governor or the president who comes to, you know, help me. The value that you must bear to know that God himself would become a child and forever God and man and one person in order to save you. How, how, how greatly he wanted to save you. But also we need to realize that that intention to save, that purpose to rescue, is being executed by Almighty God, the Creator God, whose purposes will not be thwarted no matter who stands before Him, no matter who wants to oppose Him. The purposes of God regarding you will not fail. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're floundering still in the darkness, wondering what's true, what's not true, where can I go, where is salvation, where is hope, where is eternity, where are the things that I'm looking for, where is fullness, where is flourishing, come to Christ. See the one born in the stable as the one whom God has sent to rescue his people, to rescue you. Come to him. He is the mighty God, the mighty God, the warrior God has come to defeat all your enemies, all of those who would stand opposed to you. And on the cross, this mighty God in the person of Jesus Christ went into combat against the one who has held you in bondage and imprisoned you far from home. Through this, through, through the death of the Son of God, our captor was disarmed and his right to hold, on, hold your sins against you was denied him from that point forward. He has set you free. There is so much we do not understand, but this we know, that this one who was the eternal son of God <coughs> came to earth for you, and he will not be denied. This is the light on which you can fix your eyes. Oh yeah, I know, sometimes it's very hard. I know things are falling apart around us. We do not understand why things are happening the way they are happening. And we bump up against walls and we, we trip over stairs and <coughs> we wonder where all things are heading. Know this, Jesus is not unaware of the trials of the life you live and the struggles you face every day. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And who can say that without arrogance? I have overcome the world. None but the mighty God who has overcome the darkness. So fix your eyes on this as you walk through what feels like the valley of the shadow of death. His purposes for you will not be thwarted. Thirdly, Jesus brings light as the everlasting Father, which is very curious, I think. Isaiah says, and his name will be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He is the Son. <laughs> He's the Son of God. But you know how He responds to you and to me is as a Father. He acts in a kingly way. And often the king over his kingdom would act as a father. A good father would act to his children. His subjects are his responsibility. And so he guides, he rescues, he protects. And so Jesus, as our king, acts 
in a fatherly way. I'm sad that the idea of father has been tarnished for so many of us. But think here of a good king, a good father, perhaps a good shepherd. For that's the imagery that Jesus is giving us here. When a child is lost, his father, his shepherd, his king pursues him. When a child is injured, his father or shepherd or king comforts him. When a child is threatened, the father or the shepherd intervenes. When a child is in danger, he corrects. And if it's required, as Jesus adequately pointed out and demonstrated, a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. But this is the everlasting father, the everlasting one whom the grave could not hold. He is the everlasting father who will never go away. He gave his life for the sheep and then was raised again to life. This father, this shepherd, has promised never to leave you or forsake you. He is the everlasting one. He will never walk out on you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never treat you poorly. Never. Those are his promises. He is the everlasting father who will not suddenly disappear. You know, in police shows, um, you know, Barbara and I love to watch these police shows, and the clever detective, you know, uncovers uh, whatever crime there was, and he removes the threat against a person or family, and when you get to the end of the show, everything is cool and hunky-dory for that family. But that police detective who did such a good job can provide no protection for the future that the terrible thing might not happen again. But this father does. He deals with that darkness that has overwhelmed us. And he will, the everlasting father is the genesis, the beginning, the origin, and the eternity of all protection and safety. He will never lose you. He will never abandon you. He will never step away from those who are his own. You are safe and secure in the palm of his hand forever. He brings light as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. And fourthly, we read, as the prince of peace. He is the ruler who brings peace. The one who with all power and authority brings peace. You know, what's, what, what's fascinating here is the chapters that surround this text speak, to, speak of warf warfare. It can sound like a very violent and unsettling experience. The, but, when, but if we think the focus of these texts are on war and conquest is to get the metaphor wrong. The king is spreading peace. He is the deliverer. He is bringing peace. I don't have it in, in my notes, but you know, it would be worthwhile this, you know, today or tomorrow. Go, go look at the words for the song. It came upon a midnight clear. I think it's the third or fourth verse. It talks about him flinging Peace, peace flinging its ancient splendors over the land. That's what the Prince of Peace is doing. He's flinging ancient splendors, the splendor of Eden, the satisfaction of those in harmony with one another and in har harmony with God. And it's so easy to talk about these things when war is everywhere. But war is not the way things are supposed to be. 
Jesus himself was born a part of an oppressed people, and he was killed by an alien army. But this is his promise of peace. If you look back just, just a verse before, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Who needs your war implements? Who needs your battle boots? Who needs the, the warrior's clothes when there's peace? They're, they're, they're worth nothing more than to throw on the fire. And, you know, and whether those battle garments or instruments be our sharp tongues or our balled-up fists, our poison pens or our wicked gossip, it will all be put aside as fuel for the fire. That's the promise of the Prince of Peace. Peace is the impact where the gospel is embraced. Peace is to be the characteristic of God's people. Yes, inner peace, peace with God, peace with others. But here's the problem, right? Real peace, that which comes from the Prince of Peace, does not come about with the mere cessation of hostilities. You know how that goes, right? You, a battle erupts in your home, a battle uh, between siblings or between partners. And, you know, this, this argument, this, this battle, this fight... Yeah, well, some solution is found, and maybe there's a confession. I, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe there's forgiveness given. Peace is restored only an hour and a half later, or maybe a day and a half later, for it to erupt again. True peace only comes after the source, the cause of the hostilities is taken away. And that's what the Prince of Peace is doing. He is coming to strip sin of its power and to remove from us its taint. Then and then only will true peace reign. And as we bring ourselves closer into the orbit around the Prince of Peace, as we long desperately to see His, His attributes reflected in us as more and more we conform to the image of Christ, peace will begin to be the characteristic of His people. And as it's a characteristic of His people, then perhaps it can be a characteristic that gets flung out beyond His people. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the one who is bringing peace on earth. That which the angels declared. All of this is promised in this child. It is a shaft of light in a world of darkness. One once put it to me that the unknown is the darkest of all things. We do live with the gloom of uncertainty, many of us, and all of us to some degree or another. And Some of us are tempted, right? We're tempted to try to, to find our own way to shed some light into the darkness. Some consult fortune tellers and mediums or pull out their astrological charts or tarot cards or other black arts seeking some kind of access to the future. Isaiah reminds us of the futility and danger of that, by the way, which I found kind of curious in verse 19 of chapter 8, when they say to you, inquire of the medians and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Absolutely, we inquire of our God. And what we discover from our God is a promise that will never fail in the, in the, in the person, in the body of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. In him we receive what we really desperately need. An all-powerful, mighty God, a king who rules with power and wisdom, one walking 
into that future with us. We walk into a future we cannot see. So if we turned out all the lights, blocked all the windows, you know, turned off all the electricity, everything is dead and it's absolutely completely dark in here and I'm wandering around up here, if I, would I be in danger if there was one walking with me who could see clearly in the dark? Absolutely, I would be in no danger whatsoever as I hold on to him. That's the plea of this. The plea of this is to hold on to him. He is a father, a mighty God, everlasting, who will never cease and will never turn his back on us. Yeah, I want the darkness to dim, but it's not now, and it's hard to wait. Every child knows that. But I want to conclude with this promise from the Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but... A desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And our hearts are sick with desire, but this desire will be fulfilled and we will see light. Let's pray. Father, you have given this to us. The zeal of the Lord Almighty, we read, is behind this. So I pray this morning, these days, as we contemplate the birth of your son, that it would be with that sense that light has come and that light is coming. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.